Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Uh, well, this morning we find ourselves in Luke chapter 18. And in Luke chapter 18, we are uh, focusing on a very important question. It's a question asked by a ruler. We come to find out that he's a rich ruler, and the question he asks is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'd like to suggest there is no more important question than this that could ever be asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus would tell us in John chapter 3 that eternal life is knowing the one true God and knowing Jesus whom he sent. Eternal life is knowledge. It's the personal knowledge of God through his son Jesus. And this rich ruler comes to the right place with the right question. But Jesus' response is quite surprising. So I want to read from Luke chapter 18. I'll be reading from verses 18 to 30. If you have your Bibles, you can open up and read. Uh, It'll also be on the screen behind Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 18 to 30. It reads as follows. It says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these are from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. Distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But when he heard these things, He became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Lord, we bow before you this morning as we discover what it means to have eternal life. Uh, And so, Lord, as we gather and center our attention on Jesus, I pray that you would point us the essence of eternal life that we might leave, and in so doing, experience the trueness and the reality of your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that a great question? That's the question that is plagued. That is a question that has been asked throughout the centuries. And maybe for us in this room, there was a point in our lives, if not this morning, where that's the question we asked this morning. What must be done 
to inherit eternal life. Another way to ask this question is, what must I do to find peace with God? What must happen for me to experience the reality of God's kingdom? How might a person stand accepted before God? And this young man goes to the right place to ask this question. As we begin to discover the answer to that, the question I ask is, what do you think would keep you from experience the trueness, the reality of his kingdom? What would prevent us from eternal life? What do you think would keep you? What could possibly cause us to forfeit the most precious of possessions? That's what Jesus is going to talk about this morning. It is the issue of the day. And to put it plain and simply, he's talking about idolatry. Because idolatry can keep us from experiencing eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about idolatry, there was a time where if you said idolatry or idols, I would think about what those people do in those countries. I would say it is the people that have graven images in their homes. We've, uh, we've traveled, we've seen it where you go to someone's house and there is an idol, there's a shrine, there's, an, there's something in their home dedicated to a deity, and that is the idol that they worship. It's not just what they do in those places. It's what we do. An idol is anything that we have that we treasure. And when we treasure something more than we do God, that is idolatry. And friends, that is disastrous. And so we have uh, this message about idolatry. And he's speaking to us. When I read this passage and I read about this rich young ruler, if you were to talk to me uh, some time ago, I would say, man, praise the Lord. This message isn't for me because I, you know what? I'm definitely not rich. <laughs> so this message is for all the rich people in the world. <laughs> and I can just like wonderfully watch on the sidelines. You tell them, Jesus. <laughs> but if we compare ourselves to life in the vast majority, what? All of us are wealthy. I mean, we... We spend three, four, five dollars on a cup of coffee that we may not even finish. So, so when Jesus is addressing the wealthy, he's not just talking about those people out there. When he's talking about idolaters, he's not talking about those people over there. He's talking about perhaps you and me. Because for the most of the world, our debts, our problems, even our payments would be considered luxuries. And so this rich ruler. We like to call him the rich young ruler. And I read the gospel. I believe it's in all the... I don't know why we call him the rich young ruler, uh, but I know why commentators think he's the rich young ruler. I think it's very weird. You know why they call him the rich young ruler? Because in the, <laughs> the other gospel, it says he runs to Jesus. <laughs> and the implication is, well, he must be young if he runs to Jesus. That's just not nice. But that's what the theologians say. We call them, but it says the rich ruler. Nonetheless, this rich ruler comes to Jesus with this, with this most important question. And Jesus points him to the law. In fact, he points him to the second table of the law. Jesus says, sell everything you have. Distribute it to the poor. Uh, you will have tread. Come and follow me. That, I mean, that's great. He asks the question, he gets the answer. That is phenomenal. That's great, right? I mean, we're in school season. Uh, any students? 
I, I would love to go to a school where the day of the test, you can ask the teacher, teacher, what must I do to pass this test? And the teacher lays it out. I mean, you're like, hallelujah. And Jesus gives him the answer. That you would have treasures in heaven if you forsake the treasures on earth. Follow Jesus. An amazing promise. But what do we see? In Luke chapter 18, verse 23, it says, When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Why would he walk away in sadness? What has Jesus been saying throughout this gospel that Luke is uh, uh, portraying? If you go back to Luke chapter 16, we were there a few weeks ago. Jesus says you cannot serve God and what? He says you can't serve God in mammon. We say wealth, money. But the interesting thing about you can't serve God and mammon, you got to look at that word mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic word. That in the, 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 when translated in the, the Hebrew, they would say, I'm the same word, same word. So when he says you can't serve God and mammon, he's getting to the root of something. When we say amen, we are saying, I'm putting my trust in that thing. I can bank all my hopes and my life on that statement, amen. And this is why when someone is, you know, sharing from the Word of God or you're reading the Word or you're worshiping the Lord through song and something just gets to the depths of your soul, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just bubble up and I have no other word than to say, amen. I trust in Him. And so when we're talking about this, 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 this tension between God and mammon, it's this tension between what we're ultimately putting our trust in. And for maybe some of us in this room, there's something like mammon in our lives, something we've put our trust in. See, when we talk about idols, idols lure us with powerful illusions and misplaced hopes. Idols make seductive promises, and these false gods come in all shapes and sizes, promising much but delivering very little. Anything can become an idol. We can make our careers an idol, where our hope, our identity, everything is rooted in our career. We can make success an idol. We can make just being right an idol. Have you ever met someone like that? They just can't be wrong. It's like you could literally be having a conversation, and it's like, do you not hear the words coming out of my mouth? But because they've idolized being right, they're never wrong. I mean, you literally could be having a conversation just to see, are we on the same page? What is one plus one? And then you, you say, it's two. And because they want to disagree, no, it can't be two. So we can make an idol out of anything. We can make an idol out of uh, 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 age. We can make an idol out of the things we do. Anything that we place our trust in, anything we bank our lives in, becomes an idol. And so what we see in this rich ruler, because of where he's placed his trust, is an unwillingness to leave and to cleave to Jesus. He hears the most important answer to the question asked, and he cannot receive it. The deceitfulness of what he possesses blinds him. He looks at Jesus, and he looks at what he has, and he chooses his things over Jesus. 
And so why is it so difficult to let go of those things? Why is it so difficult to identify the idols in our lives and let them go? I believe in this passage, three things. We like the idols that we place our trust in because they do three things. They make us feel good, they make us feel whole, and they make us feel safe. The things we place our trust in over uh, and above God is we put our trust in because they make us feel good, they make us feel whole, and they make us feel safe. How do idols make us feel good? Look at what happens in this first portion of this passage. He comes up to Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus says, no one is good. And what does the man say? He says, I'm good. Did you see it? Look at uh, chapter 18. We just read it. It says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Immediately, the guy says, wait. I've done that. In fact, I've done that since my youth. Surely I'm a good person. He believes because of his accomplishments, he's good. And Jesus is saying, no one is good except God. And friends, that's a truth we need to rehearse time after time after time. It's not our goodness. It's his goodness. In fact, when you look at the gospel, the good news, it's an admission of how good we are not. Growing up in church, that we did to remind the body that God is good. The preacher would get up there and he would shout, God is good. You know what everybody else said? Oh, you were in my church too. <laughs> and then, the, then, then he would say, he, he, yes. And then he says, all the time. And what would they say? God is good. Friends, we need to be reminded that God alone is good. This is why the psalmist would say, he says, give thanks to the Lord, because he is good. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Friends, if our hope, if our trust is in anything other than the goodness of God, we will always be left disappointed. This week was a very uh, challenging week for me personally. Uh, Thursday was the one-year anniversary from when my mom passed, and it's just crazy. Just the, the emotion, the roller coaster ride you're on, the anxiety, just, it, it, was, it was a difficult week. And if my trust was in anything other than the goodness of God, I'd, I'd be miserable. Because when I'm at the, 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 the point of despair, feeling hopeless, when it feels like nothing is going, if, if I'm depending on what's in my pocket, or what's in my wallet to rescue me, I'll be left disappointed. If in that, in that moment of despair, if I'm, if I'm banking my trust on my accomplishments, that will not be enough to get me out of that place. What I do have that rescues me out of any situation is knowing that God alone is good. Are you impressed with God? I mean, we need to get in the habit that when we gather with each other, whether it's in community groups, whether it's in discipleship bands, whether it's just meet and greet, we need to brag about what God does. Because when I'm in a season of life where it feels like my prayers are not reaching heaven, I need to hear what God is doing. This happened to Joey and I about two weeks ago. We were, uh, after the tornado hit, we went to the parole neighborhood. We were praying uh, through the neighborhood and just seeing how we as a church could come alongside of the neighborhood. And we met a young lady, Miss Antoinette. Man, 
She was not only, she impressed us because she knew stuff about God that we just dream about. Literally, we were there, and, and, and to give you some context, like our elder team has been praying about directionally where we're going as a church. We shared at the family meal about going, going into the estuary and kind of going into a volatile situation. It just, we, we've had some terminology that we use. We're talking to Miss Antoinette. We meet her in the neighborhood. Uh, we're getting ready to go into a, a community. Uh, she says, you know, who are you guys? You say we're, we're from uh, Downtown Hope. She said, oh, I know Downtown Hope. You know what she said? She said, you guys don't know Downtown Hope. I was like, we're pastors. This church we mean don't know about Downtown Hope. She literally said, you don't know what the Lord wants to do. And she began to declare what, I mean, things we've talked about in meetings that don't be afraid to step out. It was, it was crazy. We walked away from that. It was like, God is good. Impressed with him. But if our trust is in anything else, we'll be left lacking. And so idols make us feel good, and we, we miss out on the goodness of God. Not only do idols make us feel good, idols make us feel whole. And so what gives this rich ruler a sense of well-being, a sense of wholeness? It's what he has, right? Many, because he's a rich ruler, and some think because he's young, he may have inherited it, right? So, he, so things are going well for him. And Jesus says, if you're trusting in anything other than what God has done, you're still missing the point because we placed our confidence in the wrong thing. Now, understand, there's nothing wrong with wealth, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I, I, that's a, that'd be nice, right? I mean, I'm not saying, like, we should all just be, like, down in sorrow. Like, eh. that, that, there's nothing wrong with wealth, right? I mean, God used wealthy people. Right? Abraham was well, so there's nothing wrong with it. But Jesus is going after the very thing that is getting in the way of him clinging to Jesus. There is something that we might be clinging to. Think about the woman, of the well, woman at the well. What does he tell her? What, what, what gives her a sense of wholeness? Say it. Man, that's why Jesus says, go get your husband. She's like, well, you know. He says, right, you got five, and the person you're with now. So, so he goes after the very thing that makes us feel whole. Nicodemus, in a conversation, he goes right to the Scriptures because his sense of righteousness makes him feel whole. What makes you feel whole that Jesus is going after? Because those are the very things that when there is a, an, a, a nudging on your heart by the Spirit of God, that's when you're going to say no. We could idolize comfort. I'm just comfortable. Don't ask me to do anything. Don't ask me to say anything. That can be an idol that keeps us whole. Don't talk to me. I won't talk to you. I'll show up. I'll look forward. Don't make eye contact with anyone. Those could be the very things that make us feel whole, and Jesus is going after that. And so idols make us feel good. Idols make us feel whole. And lastly, idols make us feel and this gentleman heard the, the second table of the law, don't kill, don't steal, don't murder. And it's like he checked everything off the list. And that ability to, to check off the to-do list made him feel safe. Maybe it was his wealth. Maybe it was his status. These things made him feel safe. And when he began to feel the rug under that being stripped from him, he said, I cannot do it. This young man had great riches and evidently trusted them to make his life feel meaningful and safe. It was at the call to 
sell everything, to distribute it to the poor, to come and follow Jesus. In that moment, grief sets into his heart. There was no way he can give that up for Jesus. There was no way he could give up his money, even for God's kingdom. So he kept what he had, lost nothing, but he went away very sad. This, this man's life dramatizes the life choice of so many people today. We are sad because of what we have and an unwillingness to let go. It was Jim Elliott, the missionary. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What are we holding on to so tightly that, oh, apparently not this desk, right? <laughs> What are we holding on to so tightly? See what happens when I get excited? Stuff starts falling apart. But what are we holding on to? I mean, think about that. I mean, as we're transitioning into the fall season, you, there's things you see, there's things you hear, and maybe you're in a position to do something, but is there something else that makes us feel good, that makes us feel whole, that makes us feel safe, that we say, Jesus, I cannot do it. Many people don't want to let go. We are entrenched in our ways. We bow to our idols that make us feel good, whole, and safe. And this man walks away sad. And then Jesus, I mean, look at the environment. The the, the, the people around us is, wow, (laughs) who can be saved? Like, I can't let go and follow. If, If that's what the cost is, They said, who can be saved? And that's what I love about this passage. What seems impossible becomes possible because of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, it's going to be difficult to let go. It's going to be difficult to leave that place of comfort, that that place of security, that place of wholeness, and to rest solely in Jesus. That's why he gives this riddle about a camel going through the eye of a needle. How many camels' eyes of needles? Any? So I gave the first gathering and the homework assignment. I'm going to give you the homework assignment too. Go to the zoo. I think the zoo is open, right? Go to where the camel. Do we have camels in the National Zoo? I don't know. I've been there years. No camels? Oh, see, no one in the first gathering told me that. So they made me tell this whole homework assignment. No one stopped me. All right, go to wherever you find camels. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Take a needle, a, a sewing needle, and try your best. Won't fit. That's how impossible it is for us to let go and to cling to him, save the grace of Jesus Christ. And so Peter says in verse 28, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there was no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Friends, Christ will certainly make demands on our lives. He will demand our entire lives. He may rearrange our lives, move us from a place of comfort to a place of discomfort. He may call us to make a stand and have a voice where no one else is speaking. He will call us to leave and to cleave to him but he assures us of a reward, both in this life and in the life to come. 
And so in Luke chapter 18, I think this might be the only instance where come, someone comes to Jesus and walks away sad. I mean, literally, they asked the question, and they couldn't come to grips that he would not deny himself. He trusted his treasures rather than in Christ. Please don't make the same mistake. And so what ought we to do this morning? We huddled up to pray before the gathering, and Joey said something I thought was so helpful. He said, make yourself available. Would we do that in this next? Just make yourself available to wherever, however, how, wherever God may send you. Because if you're looking for goodness, if you're looking for wholeness, if you're looking for safety, it's in him. Because only God is good. Only God can give you wholeness. And only God can make you safe. You know what? God is good. There, we'll try that again, I think. God is good. And all the time. Let's pray. Father, you are indeed good, and your mercies endure forever. Lord, we live in a world where so many are clinging to, the thing, clinging to things that seem good, are clinging to things that provide wholeness, perceived wholeness, and are clinging to things that provide safety. Well, this morning, Lord, I pray that we uh, with this desire for eternal life etched in our hearts, might come to know that you are this ultimate source of good, wholeness, and safety. And so, Lord, would you just, uh, just, just speak with clarity the things we ought to just hold loosely, the things we should just, uh, just, just hold loosely and place our trust, hope, and faith in you. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.